Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. My guest is Adam Ostro. He's the editor-in-chief of Mashable.com. Uh, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good. We're down here at South by Southwest, and I just wanted to sort of get your thoughts on this year's uh, conference, what's hot, what's not. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, we're really looking forward to, obviously, what Twitter's going to announce this afternoon shortly. But, uh, you know, we've been closely tracking the location stuff. The rivalry between Foursquare and Gowala has been big. Um, yesterday, I got a chance to talk with Dig CEO about some major changes they're making over there. Um, this morning, got a chance to talk to the product manager at Google Buzz, um, see how they're kind of adjusting to all the controversy uh, when it launched and some of the things they have planned uh, from us, specifically from a publisher standpoint, um, and how people are going to be able to interact with brands and news organizations on Buzz. Um, talk to us about the, the changes from Dig. I haven't heard about that. Yeah, so Dig essentially uh, on Friday night, Friday or Saturday night, I can't remember at this point. Um, <laughs> Uh, at their live Dig Nation, um, Jay Adelson basically revealed new.dig.com, which is an alpha site. It's currently closed, invite only. Um, but they're essentially building everything new from the ground up. Um, and rather than the site just being about digs, it's going to pull in information from Twitter, from Facebook, what people are sharing. The homepage is going to become a personalized experience based on your interests, your friends, your social graph. Um, so really some radical changes, I think, to try to kind of take dig which is a big site, but take it beyond its current niche uh, and really try to just become the web's aggregator. And what, what's, what are your thoughts on Google Buzz and what did you talk about with their product guy? Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff's off the record, but, um, you know, the, I think they're making adjustments. I think some of the privacy concerns initially might have been a little bit overblown by the media, um, but they now have a lot of work to do to kind of get people to try it again. If people checked it out at first and didn't like it or were concerned about some of the privacy issues, um, they have a lot of work to do, and I think they're going to do some interesting things to address it. Um, and certainly, I think it's going to be a lot more exciting when they have an official API, so third-party apps uh, that already integrate with Twitter and Facebook can add Google Buzz. Um, you know, I think the product might have been released a little bit too early um, in Gmail. I think there was a lot more things they maybe should have considered before launching it. Um, but they have some exciting things planned. There's, uh, they told me I think 20 or 30 people there are dedicated to working on Buzz, so. It's clearly a pretty big, high-priority project there. So, What do you think? Like, do you think Buzz is uh, ultimately a B2B tool? Um, I think it's both. I think, you know, the way they explain it to me is they're really looking uh, not dissimilar to Twitter and Facebook at both consumers and brands. Um, right now, I think there's a lot of issues that make it prohibitive for brands and uh, news organizations to really use the tool effectively. I think, first off, there needs to be a standalone site. Um, not just Gmail, which is in the works, so you'll be able to use it if you're a Hotmail user or a Yahoo user or whatever. Um, and I also think they have some namespace issues. Obviously, if you've had your Gmail account for four or five years and your username might not be your business or organization name, and it's very tough to kind of transition and manage multiple accounts. So they have some issues like that to overcome. I think it's, uh, you know, we've been using Buzz pretty heavily on Mashable, and I think it has a lot of potential as a tool for brands and media organizations, but they have a lot of work to do to get there. 
based on what you've seen either on the floor or in the sessions or people that you're talking to, uh, anything sort of hot that you see potentially bubbling up over the next uh, few months? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things, unfortunately, it's not until tomorrow is Spotify. I think people are really excited about that coming to the U.S. Uh, someone actually that has it on their phone showed it to me this morning, and it's really kind of impressive, um, you know, about the database of music they have and the interface. Um, it's really impressive. I think that's going to be, maybe, I mean, I, you know, this year I think it's all about Foursquare and Guala, what everyone's talking about. I think um, digital entertainment and with Spotify being really one of the companies could be what everyone's kind of talking about next year. Um, and tomorrow they're going to make some big announcements as uh, I think their CEO is keynoting tomorrow. So that should be interesting to watch. On May 6th and 7th, 2010, in New York City, co-chairs Elizabeth Albrecht and Eric Schwartzman, with the support of PRSA, bring you the third annual Digital Impact Conference, featuring keynote presentations from Gabriel Stricker, Director of Global Communications and Public Affairs at Google, Jennifer Preston, Social Media Editor of the New York Times, and Jeremiah Oyang, Analyst and Partner at the Altimeter Group. To save $100 on admission, visit OnTheRecordPodcast.com for the promo code before you register. So they had an interesting session that I attended the uh, first day. Uh, it was Violet Blue and another, uh, what was a pink-haired blogger who I didn't, I don't know whose, whose name it was. And then someone from Twitter, I, I don't know who his name was. And the name of the session was How Not to Be a Douchebag. <laughs> at South by Southwest, and you know, seeing that it's my first South by Southwest, I, I don't want to be a douchebag. So I went to the session to see what I could learn, and it was quite, it was quite good. I mean, uh, Violet uh, Blue was very uh, articulate on, uh, you know, how to uh, practice socially acceptable behavior amongst the social media circuit, <clears throat> and um, you know, one of the things that kept coming, we kept coming back to, or they kept coming back to was sort of the use of a PR person as your stereotypical douchebag. Like they would say, don't be like the PR person who is in your face and always wants something. So I guess, you know, since um, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are in PR, uh, you know, what, what, what uh, tips can you tell us uh, from a, a media person's perspective about how not to be a PR douchebag? Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing is just being respectful and knowing who you're talking to. I mean... I have a good relationship with a lot of PR people, and I met with uh, many of them here that I've known for a while online and got a chance to see in person people that represent some of the companies we cover all the time on Mashable. Um, you know, I think the big thing is being respectful and, and knowing who you're talking to. Um, you know, obviously knowing what the publication that you're pitching is interested in, um, and specifically at South by Southwest, if you see a blogger you want to talk to, just you know, be respectful of their time. Um, I don't mind you coming up to me and saying, "Hey, this is who I work for." Um, you know, I think you might be interesting to Mashable, exchange cards, whatever, but, um, you know, I don't have 20 minutes for you to talk my ear off about some company we might not cover, and really that makes you look bad, and sometimes people kind of get in a doghouse and it's hard to get out of um, when someone's kind of established themselves as being someone that pitches stuff that's not relevant or really not using my time in an effective way. There's that story that's made the rounds about, you know, Michael Arrington's experience at a conference came to a conference, apparently some, someone came up to him and spat in his face. He says he doesn't go to conferences anymore. Um, you know, do you have any similar experiences in this type of environment? I mean, do people sort of attack you or, or come at you upset about maybe things that you've written on the blog? 
Yeah, I mean, I've had a little bit of that um, where people are just like upset about something. I've written or upset I didn't cover something. Um, and, you know, I, I can understand it. I don't really know if it's appropriate, and it certainly doesn't do them any favors. Um, you know, but I don't mind having a civil discourse about why we decided not to cover a story or why we covered something a certain way. I mean, I'm happy to talk about that with people, um, either in person or online, um, as much as I can. I mean, I can't respond to everything, obviously. We get far more pitches than we can possibly handle. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I think it's important to, to keep a dialogue, and PR people are important to what we do. I mean, they you know do provide us with sometimes with relevant stories and connect us to people that we need to talk to, whether they're CEOs or business people at companies that we track. So they play an important role still. My friend Jeremy Pepper, who is a PR person, uh, wrote a post yesterday saying, no, I don't go to South by Southwest because basically it's all about parties. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can't see fit to go to my boss or my client and say, hey, pay for me to go to parties. Um, and this is my first time at South by Southwest. And i got to tell you, since I've been here, I heard Chris Messina talk about activity streams in a way that expanded my consciousness. I heard Dana Boyd talk about the conflict between private and public in a way that was absolutely inspiring. Um, I heard Joy Ito talk about how he had relocated to Dubai uh, to try to convince uh, Middle Eastern governments to embrace the open web. I heard um, Kaiser Kuo talk about uh, Google and China. I mean, the, the level of, of presentation that I've heard here is unlike anything I've ever heard at any conference anywhere in the world. Um, for me, it's been hugely beneficial. Uh, but you mentioned, uh, what do you think? I mean, have you been to any of the sessions? Yeah, I haven't been to many of the sessions. I mean, I, uh, for me, um, I think it's different for, for everybody. Um, you know, I think you can do what you did, which is really kind of plan out what you're going to go see, do your research, and I think you can get a lot out of the sessions. For me, it's been mostly about, um, you know, meeting people that I've interacted with online all the time. I love to get that face time and really know who they are. Um, other than that, it's just been, and I, I think it's maybe somewhat advantageous to, uh, you know, work for uh, a fairly popular blog where people have seen my avatar before, so they know me, and it's maybe a little bit easier to network for me than it is for some other people. Um, but it's been great. I mean, there's so many um, people I've met at the at the parties and events um, that's either going to lead to stories or lead to, you know, potentially business development deals. Um, I think this is really, like, for people in social media and consumer-facing web, um, it's the best place for networking. It's the best, like, aggregation of people. I went to CES earlier this year, and that's just, like, too big and too broad. I had some great meetings there, too, but, I mean, it's, like, 100,000 people, um, and you don't have as many, I think, really good random meetings and introductions as you do here. The top-rated, longest-running social media communications training program comes to Los Angeles this August 2010. Bring your laptop, log on, and learn the ins and outs of effective social media communications and search engine optimization. Reserve your space by logging on to www.newmediaprbootcamp.com. You know, Wiley had a party um, the night before last, and there was no live band. And the music wasn't too loud, so I felt like I could really have some good conversations with people. But a lot of the parties I've been to, the music is so loud, and frankly, the people are so inebriated that, you know, maybe it's a high five and hey, how are you, and a smile, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of room for meaningful discourse. Am I right? Am I wrong? Um, Well, you know, we had an event last night, and we rented out a large venue, and we had basically an upstairs and downstairs for the, we kind of handled it this way. For the first hour, we just had um, like an invite-only thing, which was just quiet, like 
very quiet music in the background, so everyone could talk and network. And then once the party opened to everybody, we had like an upstairs, which was like DJ, loud music, kind of kind of what you described. Um, but then downstairs, we kept quiet so people could network and mingle and really talk and, and you know get to know each other. Um, so, but I, you know, I, I tend to agree with you. I think it's um, it's cool if you're maybe a company that has clients and you know want to treat them and make them happy or whatever to throw a loud concert or something like that just for fun. Um, but if you're putting on an event for networking or if you want to go to something networking, you really kind of need to be yeah cognizant of that because some of the places are. It's kind of just like being at a college bar or something like that where it's just loud and you really can't do anything other than say hi and shake hands because you can't hear them. I'm giving your knowledge of this space. This is kind of a selfish, selfish question, but I'm working on a book now on business-to-business applications of social media. I wonder, you know, when you think about B2B for social media, if uh, you picked up the quintessential book for B2B applications of social media, what would be in that book? What would be covered, and what would what stones should definitely be turned over? Ooh, um, well, we actually do a lot on this topic. Um, we work with American Express on OpenForum.com, which is their small business website, and we essentially kind of write about the same stuff we do at Mashable, kind of the latest social media trends and consumer internet stuff, but for um, small businesses. So, uh, and there's tons of stuff there. Um, just off the top of my head, kind of you know some of the things I think are important are really just thinking about how you set up your presence and how to interact with people and, and respond to them and making sure you have, you know, not just getting on Facebook and Twitter, but making sure you're actually devoting resources to them um, to listen to people and, you know, because that's the point of being there. I mean, you can be there and just broadcast company news, and I don't think that's too interesting. I mean, it's a way to, for people to keep up with you. Um, but the way, you know, we use it as a brand and, and small businesses that we like, um, use it. You know, they're they're interacting. They're doing cool things locally. I mean, increasingly with some of these location-based apps, kind of jumping on opportunities to market to their community. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I can't give you one book, but if you're interested in the in the topic, um, OpenForum.com is where Mashable contributes a ton of stuff, and other people as well. Guy Kawasaki writes there about how small businesses can use social media. Uh, Henry Blodgett's over there. Um, Anita Campbell, some great authors on that site. So check it out. Adam, thanks for joining Shortly us. Shortly after my, pleasure, my interview you. with. Adam Ostro of Mashable, I joined thousands of South by Southwest attendees in a hall to hear a announcement from Twitter founder Evan Williams. Now, Evan is also the founder of a company called Pyra Labs, which created a product called Blogger, the first popular blog, which was acquired by Google. Um, he was interviewed by a gentleman by the name of Umar Hawk. And I want to play for you uh, the first five minutes of that discussion. Yeah, we wanted to announce our new app platform. Uh, as highly anticipated. Uh, we're, we're announcing a new uh, platform for integrating Twitter into websites. We call it App Anywhere. And uh, we have a little video to demonstrate how it works. We can start out with that. Roll the clip. Right, so I'm going to talk you through it here. We're going to show some examples. So say you're browsing one of your favorite websites, such as the uh, Huffington Post, and you see a mention of Saturday Night Live, and you think, oh, I love Saturday Night Live. <coughs> hey, look, they're on Twitter. Let me follow them. And then uh, the Flaming Lips. Well, I already follow the Flaming Lips, but I can bring up this little cover card, as we call it, and check out their latest tweet. And then I control actually how, how I get their information via Twitter without ever going to Twitter very quickly. Um, so that's one of the features of it. The other thing you can do is use it to sign in 
to a website uh, using your Twitter ID, and then or even sign up for an account if you don't have one. And if your website, you can um, offer people to follow, so your own publications or authors can easily be followed, so you can bring people back. And we have about 13 sites that are starting out with us to integrate this, including Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Bing, YouTube, New York Times, Dig, etc. as you can see on the screen. That's that, anyway. That's, uh, that's really cool. Let me, you know, you, you walked us through it really quickly. Let me ask you uh, exactly how that would work. Let's say that, that I'm at a newspaper and I'm going to read one of my favorite columnists. What could I do there with Anywhere that I couldn't do before? Um, well, the big thing that At Anywhere does is reduce friction. So you could be reading your favorite columnist, and uh, it depends a lot on how sites integrate. So there aren't really strict rules around it. Like most things we build with Twitter, we leave a lot of the innovation up to um, developers and, and third parties. So there's a lot that can be done with this that we can't even anticipate. But some of the obvious things are you can easily tweet from the column itself if you want if you want to tell people about it. Um, and then the big thing is you may just want to follow the columnist so they can right. easily put in a, a follow this without going back to Twitter. So straight from his byline? Straight from the byline. And that's a big thing because uh, one of the things we found with Twitter is that um, discovery is, is, is one of the hardest challenges because there's thousands of topics or people or authors or bands you may want to follow. And it's, it's putting these in context where you're already becoming aware of them or you're reading about them. Like, and Twitter is a very easy way to keep in touch. Right, right, right. Okay. So, so, so I can see the, the, the benefits if I'm a user. It helps me contextualize all the information. It slashes my discovery costs. If I'm a site, what, what are the sort of key benefits? What is it going to do? Uh, a couple things. One is... Uh, just keep you give you a connection back to users that you didn't necessarily have before, uh, and and keep them coming back. And we hear from sites all the time that Twitter drives in tons of traffic uh, if people are following them. So it'll it should re result in more followers right. um, for a site and just just sending out links. Right. Um, it should also you know hopefully result in more people um, who are your fans or who are your audience using Twitter. Um, talking about themselves and talking about your content. So hopefully it becomes just a richer experience. You can also do lots of other things. You can bring in those um, users' uh, tweets into your site and you can create a whole community, community or sub-community with it. That's really interesting. It, it seems almost like it's a platform to, to let sites really juice up their network and viral effects in a way. Hopefully so. You, you, you said something really interesting a, a couple of minutes ago when, when you were introducing it. You said... This is not an app platform, it's an at platform. And it seems to me that, that through this, you're almost hoping to let people and organizations build stronger relationships. That's the goal. I mean, that's, um, that's the goal of Twitter in general. So this right. is really about lowering the barriers back. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. 
On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.